this is the commercial property show Australia show number 25 I bought a CrossFit gym last week. That obviously, if there's a second wave of COVID, is gonna have some hard times. But I also think the location I bought it in is away from the CBD. The people that live around there are gonna to wanna to go to a local gym. Do you CrossFit yourself? I, I do CrossFit myself. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were a CrossFitter, so am I. <laughs> Commercial property community, we are back today. Thank you for joining me. My name is Andrew Bean, and we have an absolute cracker of a show for you today, and here it is. Steve Polisi, head of commercial at Suburbanite, the analytical genius, joins me on the show today. Now, Steve has just written a book, so we're talking about his journey, how he got into property, to now how he's actually written a book. It's a really, really great interview. He drops a lot of amazing tips for everyone, and he's actually been kind enough to offer the CPS listeners a 50% discount. So make sure you hang around to the end of the interview to get the discount code. And here it is. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. Go to www.commercialpropertyshow.com.au. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum. And together, we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. My next guest is an author and the head of commercial at Suburbanite. It's Mr. Steve Polisi. How are you, mate? Not too bad, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. You are very, very welcome. So I've asked Steve here today to share his journey from the very beginning to present day, where he has recently published his first book, Commercial Property Investing Explained Simply. First off, mate, congratulations on publishing your first book. I know writing and publishing a book is a huge task, so congratulations to you, mate. Thanks, Andrew. It was an absolute horrible experience. (laughs) Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. So, mate, what age did you first start getting interested in property? Probably after university. So, I graduated in 2004. I did engineering, so I did structural and mechanical engineering finished that in 2010. At the time, I thought working hard and being smart and good at what you're doing was a good way to make money. Realized that wasn't the case in engineering. And then much like every other kind of Australian, everyone wants to have like a residential investment property. So in my usual analytical ways, I started researching, listened to podcasts, read books, followed a few people like Jan Summers and things like that. And then just went from there and then took me about two years of researching before I could pull the trigger. Yeah, and bought my first one in 2012. 
Yeah, awesome. So it makes sense that you have an engineering background and you like that analyst kind of personality. I love that. Yeah, exactly. So, mate, what was your very, very first investment? My first one, as most people kind of do, I bought generally around the corner from me. So it was just lucky timing. So I lived in Western Sydney. 2012 was right before the start of the boom. I bought a two-bedroom townhouse in Blacktown yep. for 230 grand, and it rented for 290 a week. So it was just highly cash flow positive. The funny thing at the time, I was actually working on the Norman Beaches with some people up there who are on high incomes, and they were laughing at me saying, I can't believe you're spending 230 grand on a property in Sydney's West. Um, <laughs> and then luckily slash hopefully part of my research, that property went up about 80K in the first year. So that was kind of my light bulb moment. I was an engineer, like an intern at the time. I think I got about 55 grand a year. So making $80,000 from signing to a bit of paper was a, a little bit of a light bulb moment. Yeah, definitely, mate. So how did you first get started in the property profession? So I did engineering for about seven years. I used to design medical equipment and then I got into designing mine sites, grew my portfolio, I think to about uh, maybe eight or nine properties at the time. And then wanted a bit of a sea change. I was spending more time doing property at night than I was actually doing my job during the day. And then saw a buyer's agency just had a job for a new buyer's agent. So wrote a silly message on Facebook thinking I wasn't going to get the job, had an interview and then yeah, they offered me the job. So just random career change, took about an 80% pay cut, but I enjoyed it and I knew just buying a couple of better properties each year, 50, 60 grand cheaper than I would myself would kind of make up the difference. And yeah, haven't looked back, bought probably 300 residential properties and probably about 130 commercial properties now. That's amazing. I mean, I know exactly how you feel when putting more time at the end of your day at night into your property career. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that are doing the same thing right now. The worst part was in my engineering office, I actually had an office where people couldn't see my computer. So I'd just be sitting there looking at properties all day and doing enough that it actually looked like I was doing my job. Yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. So mate, when did you start getting interested in commercial property? I sort of fell into that. So I was much like everyone else kind of prior to knowing commercial, just thinking it was high risk, high deposits, not, no capital growth. And then the company I was working for started buying them. So I just sort of got pushed into it for work. But basically, as I started doing, because I am analytical, as I started doing more and more due diligence, I actually worked out you could buy probably even lower risk commercial properties than you can residential properties. But then my real light bulb moment was when I was doing kind of some spreadsheets and I worked out you start buying like 7% net yielding commercial properties. They can pay themselves off just through the cash flow for the 10 years. Mm. So it's it's like having a a residential property that's guaranteed, assuming you've got a tenant, of course, every 10 years. And then in addition to that, if you get capital growth and the property's doubled, you're effectively making twice as much as residential. Yeah, exactly. So, mate, you mentioned you listened to a few podcasts to you followed Jan Summers. What other resources did you use or was it purely on-the-job training that really got you to where you are today? Prior to working as a buyer's agent, I was on a lot of the forums back in then, the Summersoft ones and I read like even like the Margaret Lomaz books. I've literally read every single book probably that was from I don't know, 1990 to 2015. Now, not so much. I just listen to podcasts when I'm driving because I just don't have the time. But yeah, just, just research online. And to be honest, I'm all about the numbers. Like all that strategy stuff doesn't mean anything. You've got to put numbers on a page and actually show me. Yeah, I can tell that you would be excellent. Like being an analytical person, 
commercial property is basically your jam. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the numbers. There's no other thing to it. A little bit of a kind of black art when you're doing like business analysts and things like that, but you're buying it based on the numbers. So, mate, did you have any mentors along the way as well? Generally not formal ones. The informal ones, like the ones online, like even like you've had James Dawson on the thing. So I've listened to a lot of things with him. But to be honest, I've just applied common sense to a lot of it. The problem with commercial is there's not that many, in quotation marks, mentors out there. There's a few people that have written a book. And then there's some really successful commercial kind of buyers, but they're not generally mentors. And a lot of the times the really successful ones have just been doing it for so long that their portfolios are so large that they look really, really successful where they could have actually bought mediocre ones 20 years ago and they've still performed really well. So to be honest, yeah, I've just researched myself online and just crunched the numbers and to be honest, just had a crack. Yeah, that's like, I love that. When did you decide to first write the book and how long did it take? So I started writing about a year and a half ago. I just noticed online there was very minimal kind of resources. There was a few articles, but to be honest, I disagreed with most of it. It wasn't common sense to me. And then through my work as a buyer's agent, I was having five phone calls a day with new investors and I was answering the same questions like, what's net yield? What does the tenant pay? Who pays for maintenance? How big the deposit is? How does a lease work? All those types of things. So the plan was just to write maybe like a 50-page ebook that I could kind mm. of send out to the clients just as a summary of this is what you need to know to get started. And then we can have a much better conversation because I'm not just going through the rigmarole. And then 50 got to about 80 pages. And then I was looking and I go, oh, there's actually probably a book here. And then just went from there. It took me probably just over a year. And that's me doing it probably two to three nights a week for three hours each night. So there's a couple hundred, 250 hours or so there. Yeah, it's a big long haul when you commit to writing a book and it's just about that consistency, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. And then a commercial can be so varied, trying to encapsulate everything and talk about because like foot traffic will be completely different on a retail than an industrial, but you still need to be able to kind of solidify it into a book, into like one general section of the book. Yeah, so in the book, does it go through the different sectors and how to add value to them as well? Like how deep does it really go? I haven't got my copy yet. Yeah, so there's basically just a chapter on every part. So there's one like a, a residential versus commercial. Then there's ones on the different types of commercial. So there'll be a chapter on like industrial, chapter on office, chapter on retail. And then we'll have that girl go through the pros and cons of each of them. Then you get into things like yields and you're getting cash flow, leases, how to build your team, what resources you need to research property, the due diligence, what type of value add methods there are how to like solidify your portfolio through say a downturn or a pandemic, things like that. So it just methodically just goes through each point of buying a commercial and how to kind of build it correctly, how to grow your portfolio. It's not a get rich quick or a feel good book. It is a very dry textbook, but mm -hmm. if you want to learn something, the information's there. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually getting into it. I think it's going to be a really, really great resource and property in general, mate. Like, People, it's not get rich quick, it's get rich slow, you know. Yeah, exactly. People, people got to know that, so. Yeah, the benefit with commercial, though, is you can build a reasonable passive income much quicker than a residential portfolio. Not quickly, just quicker. Yeah, and the thing with commercial as well is as soon as you buy the commercial and it is cash flow positive, you see that cash coming in every single month. So that's that exciting part. But if you're just going the residential capital growth like path, you can't really see that. It's not tangible. So it's a lot more exciting, I think, 
investing in a commercial property where you can see the cash flow coming in each each month. It is, but the, the big thing with commercial is you need to plan what you're doing with that cash flow. Like buying a, a 500 grand property that's 25 grand a year passive income is great. If you're looking to buy number two, you need to work out, cool, with that 25 grand, how am I using this to get the next one? Do I need to get some capital growth out of the commercial and pull out that equity and then combine it and then start doing some forecasting that way? Otherwise, you're just kind of armchair investor buying a residential property, hoping it grows and pulling out the equity. I definitely agree there, mate. So, mate, what does the next investment look like for you? I actually keep stuff like that open. I look Australia-wide at different kind of sectors. It'll just depend what comes across my desk. I've got a considerable portfolio now, so I'm generally looking for the more creative ones as opposed to the the set and forgets. So something with just some form of value add, which you've spoken about on these podcasts before. So something creative, I think. And how do you feel about, is your strategy more of it has to be a passive kind of play or are you more interested in your single use properties that have huge value add, but it obviously takes more time. So like, you know, a self-storage or a caravan park where you have to have a team. It's a business. You're buying a business. Yeah, I'll generally stay away from those ones, Andrew. I just don't have the time. If it's a value add, like some form of development or something like that, where it's got a finite timeline on it, then I definitely will. But you're spot on with those ones. You're, You're effectively buying a business. You just own the actual commercial space as well. So do you do much development yourself? being that you're a bit time poor? Generally not too much. I'll either outsource, but all my developments are quite minor. I'm not doing big knockdown rebuilds and things like that. Don't have the bankroll for it. Don't have the time. Still reasonably early in my portfolio. I'm only 34 years old, so there's plenty of time ahead of me. So for me, it's more just about kind of getting low risk ones, get the growth, get the short-term uplift and keep going. Yeah, perfect, mate. That's great. Do you have a preferred sector? You probably don't, but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah, you're right. I don't. Basically, my sector would be low risk and versatile. At the moment, that's to answer your question, is industrial and probably what I call essential retail. So that's yep. retail, not like the Westfields, the ones where the suburban shops where you, you're always going to need a face-to-face. So like hairdressers, nail salons, cafes, barbershops, things like that. But like I said, they've got to be low risk and they've got to be versatile to kind of mitigate that vacancy. Offices can be okay, but they have to be the ones that are effectively a a retail. So like a ground floor with good foot traffic past it. So if it's something like a a law firm, but if they ever leave in 10 years time, it could also be a hair salon. That for me, it's still a retail, even though there's an office tenant in it. Right. So you just touched on office there. Do you think that the office market in general, like your high rise office, do you think that will recover or do you think that will always have a bit of a cloud of the working from home? kind of uh, stigma now? No, it'll recover. The question is just how long it'll take. If there's population growth and they're not building new supply, they'll slowly fill it, but it's just going to depend on the percentage of people that go back to work. So say in like Sydney CBD, if 50% of people go back to work 50% of the time, then you're going to have that 25% vacancy effectively that you're going to have to fill. So once that gets filled, they'll go from there. But the offices will generally change in those high density areas. They'll, they'll have to be more kind of user friendly and offer some form of experience. Otherwise, people aren't going to go in like no one's going to travel 45 minutes to go sit in a cubicle for 10 hours to then go home and not interact with anyone. Mm. So, mate, do you have a favorite type of upside or add value strategy that you look for in a property, like an easy low hanging fruit? You're like, yep, yeah, I can make up this much capital growth by just initiating that upside. Yeah, the easiest one is just buy something that's under-rented. 
So if yeah. it's under rented, 15, 20%. I know you've spoken about this before on the podcast and the listeners probably heard as well, but it's just so simple. You buy something 15, 20% below the market rate, you get to your rent, your lease renewal and you bump it up and you've effectively got some capital growth that way. And it's free to do that too. Exactly right. And to be honest, it's actually for some reason less attractive a lot of the times to some buyers because if you don't know what you're doing, they just see it as, oh, it must be a dud tenant. But mm-hmm. it's just most of the time it's just a lazy owner. Yeah. What do you think about eliminating some outgoings, like just reducing your outgoings as an upside? I hear a lot of people talk about it. It's a lot harder than you think and a lot more time consuming to go through it, especially if it's a body corporate property and things like that. Just the amount of basically amount of loopholes you have to jump through just to get it done. It's almost not worth the effort. If it benefits the business, they'll obviously generally pay back. But if you're saving them 3% of their rent, that's not a decisive factor if they're going to stay there forever or not. And you shouldn't be buying a property with that. If it's a freestanding building, then it's something that you're obviously going to save on if you're paying for the structure or maintenance, things like that. Yeah, 100%. But I like to look at the numbers as is and decide to make the purchase from there. Yeah, beautiful. All right, mate. So you probably don't have a location that you're targeting, but do you have a preferred location in Australia right now? The main areas I'm buying, probably in this order, is Brisbane, then Adelaide, then Canberra, then Perth. I do buy regional as well, but it has to just be the right deal. and It's got to kind of be an essential type of service that I think is low risk. Main reason for those locations is you can get a really strong yield. You can get 6 to 8% net yields quite easily. Whereas like a Sydney, Melbourne, a lot harder to get a strong yield and good bang for buck for your property. But again, to answer that question, it depends on what asset you're buying, where you're buying, even what your budget is, that's going to affect kind of where you're buying. And then the type of asset is going to depend on the individual and their risk profile, for instance. And do you have a length of lease that you like to look for or a specific type of industrial use that you're more prone to going towards generally not it's more about the actual number especially like if you're buying an industrial space it's going to be more about the numbers i treat it like i'm going to lose the tenant every end of lease period but there's obviously ones if you look at it and you go this business is not going to be around in three or four years time you probably move on to the next deal or if that region that you're buying in in servicing some type of sector that you don't think is going to be a strong performer then you'll probably walk away from it but whether or not it's a CrossFit gym or car mechanic, spray painter, wholesaler, distributor, fabricator, that they all serve a purpose in different locations. They're all going to have different fit-out costs, be different businesses of some might have been operating for 20 years, others for five, others brand new businesses. So, so with commercial, it's very case by case. Again, I try to stay away from the COVID ones, like the ones that I think may be affected. But even that, like I bought a CrossFit gym last week. That, obviously, if there's a second wave of COVID, is going to have some hard times. But I also think the location I bought it in is away from the CBD. The people that live around there are going to want to go to a local gym. So I think it'll be quite a stable business because they'll get that social interaction while they're not going into the city. Do you CrossFit yourself? I I do CrossFit myself. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were a CrossFitter, so am I. (laughs) Where do you work out? Uh, I've actually just stopped now, uh, literally two months ago, because I'm now going in between. Uh, I live in the Katoomba, which is the Blue Mountains, yeah. and then I live in Rose Bay during the week. So it was too hard to kind of manage both. So at the moment, I'm just doing the Anytime Fitness thing until yeah. I'm a bit more stable during kind of post-COVID, I'll say. Okay. So what was your best grand time? Oh, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be sub three. You yeah. have to be sub three. <laughs> nah, I'm not going to be the most. 
All right, mate. So back to commercial property. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Cash flow or capital growth and why? I actually, uh, no offense, Andrew, I actually hate this question. Um, <laughs> the way I generally answer when I'm talking to clients is I look at net return for purpose. Yep. So whether that comes through cash flow or capital growth, it depends how you're using the funds. And we touched on it before with the cash flow, like what are you actually doing with that cash flow is going to help make the decision. Because if you can get at a higher leverage rate with residential and you don't need the cash flow and you've got really good serviceability, commercial might not actually be the best option for you. I just look at kind of return on investment and that net return for purpose. And that's going to come down to you, like your leveraging, your serviceability, your short-term and long-term goals, for instance, what your exit strategy is as well. Are you planning to pay that down? Are you going to try to grow an empire? So it's going to be case by case. Ideally, you want to get both. You want to get cash flow mm-hmm. and capital growth as a safety net. But so I'm more about with my commercial, I'm just about low risk. So I want really good return, whether that be a balance of getting some capital growth and some cash flow, all cash flow and or zero cash flow and all capital growth. It doesn't matter as long as I can put pen to paper and show why I'm going to get that. Yeah, some good advice there, mate. When you're analyzing a deal, do you have uh, minimum percentage requirements that you look for, like, uh, you know, your cap rates, your cash on cash, things like that? I do unofficially, but it's going to come down to the deal. Generally, everything I buy is a 6% plus net yield. But again, a cracker of a 5.8% came up that was on a 20-year lease, for instance. I'm still going to give that a look, for instance. So it just depends. But to answer your question, most of the stuff I buy is between 65 and 7.5% yield on a decent lease. So 18 months plus to 10 years. And would you use IRR at all? Generally not. Fair enough. So what about cash on cash? You're obviously looking at a cash on cash return though. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, perfect. All right, mate. So how has commercial property changed your life? The big thing for commercial for me is that it actually lets you build a passive income quite quickly. So with residential investing, you get people that talk to retirement. So they talk 20, 30 years, you'll have a nice retirement where you have a 50 grand passive income. Commercial, you can buy a million dollar investment and have a 50 grand passive income from the get-go. So it just gives you comfort that you don't have to go to work and you can build that passive income in a much shorter term than traditional residential investing. So, mate, do you have any big plans for your personal portfolio in the future? Like, what does the future look like for Steve Polisi? I'm actually probably a bit different to most, I'm going to say, investors. I'm quite relaxed with my goals. I've never wanted a super yacht or a fast car. I drive a, a camper van and I, I drive around Australia in that and I have a pretty simple yeah. life. For me, I just like financial freedom. So, I just want to be able to travel. Hopefully, when the international borders open up, I can travel internationally a little bit more as well. But just enough to kind of just live my lifestyle that I want, which isn't much. Goalposts, obviously, like everyone else, keep moving. So I'm sure if I have some kids and all of a sudden see some private school bills, I want to keep up to it. But normally just chipping away. I I don't live on the edge and kind of push the envelope too hard. I just low risk, good cash flow, just easy life. So do you have a preferred LVR that you'll when you step into the property and then do you bring it back to, say, non-recourse finance at 60%? Generally, I, I want to keep my portfolio under 65%. Right. But again, it depends on the deal. If I find a deal that's a little bit out of my budget, but I can get away with, say, like ANZ's doing 80% loans at the moment with some individuals, I'm still going to have a look at it. And then it's just going to get put into the plan. That, And you can offset some of your other properties with the risk as well. So you have the leases so they don't end at the same time. And then with certain properties that you think might be higher risk, you might decide to pay those down, for instance. 
but again it's going to be case by case like all my excess cash will go into my offset account that's got the highest interest rate for instance but there'll still be a plan of it's going to be sitting against this property and i can't touch it so you mentioned that you bought a crossfit gym last week was that in your personal portfolio or was that for your company no that was for a client oh, okay perfect so how are you finding lending right now in the last three years i haven't heard anyone say lending is, is easy lending's always been hard it's always going to be hard Interest rates are dropping. I've never had an easy lending deal. Every single one goes to the last minute and you're really pushing the envelope to get the deal over the line. I haven't really had any issues with commercial. The main reason for that is the properties that I'm buying because they're generally subject to the actual property that you buy. And I know what the lenders are looking for. They're looking for good tenant in a good location, on a strong lease, paying market rate, a nice stable business. So if you send them that, there generally isn't any issues. And do you find now that they're actually assessing more of the person that's trying to get the loan now instead of just assessing the property on its merits? It depends what type of loan you're getting. So okay. as you know, you're like, you can get the lease loans and no-doc loans, and you can get the stock standard 15, 20, 25, 30-year loans as well. So it's going to come down to what obviously having a strong lease in place with a good yield is going to benefit the, the lending criteria. Yeah, exactly. All right, mate. Well, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and purchase the new book? Easiest spot to get a hold of me if you want to send me a message is just on my LinkedIn. So Steve Polisi. My book is available sale on Amazon, Booktopia, the publisher's website, or you can go to my website, policyproperty.com, and then it'll also be in stores in January. Perfect, mate. I cannot wait to get my hands on one of these books. All right, mate. Today's guest has been Steve Polisi. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Now, if you've been hanging around to get your special discount code that Steve is only offering to CPS listeners, what you're going to want to do is go to policyproperty.com, purchase the book, and put in, in capital letters, 50. That's the word 50 in capital letters to get yourself 50% off Steve's book. Now, I'm not sure how long Steve is going to keep this open for us, so make sure you get on straight away to secure your 50% discount. That's 50 in capital letters on Steve's website. All right, all right. That brings us to our newest segment to the show, and that segment is called... Ripper, Ripper Resource. In this segment, I'm going to share some resources that I have personally used, read, or listened to that have made a big difference in my life, and I think they deserve to be shared. And this week's Ripper Resource is... I'm still pretty stoked to be able to work in the jazz flute there. Every time I hear it, it makes me smile. Just thought I'd mention that again. And this week's Ripper Resource is The 12-Week Year by Brian P. Moran and Michael Lennington. Now, this book is similar to 4DX, The Four Disciplines of Execution, but it breaks down your goals into 12 weeks. So it's bite-sized pieces. And the idea behind it is actually that uh, 12-month goal, you feel like you have so much time and you get behind early in January and then you think to yourself, oh, it's okay, I've still got heaps of time. And then you get to February and you're a little bit further behind 
and you think to yourself, well, you know, I've still got plenty of time. It's a whole year. And then November and December roll around and you realize, wow, I'm so far behind on my goal. I'm going to absolutely have to go double time to meet that deadline. And the 12-week year is basically just a method to recreate that urgency. You can't have too many bad days of not achieving your goal. He actually calls them tactics in in the book, the things that you do each day to achieve your big goal. So you can't have too many days of not hitting your tactics if you still want to achieve your big goal at the end of the 12 weeks. So it's a really good book to start with for the year. And it's The 12-Week Year by Brian P. Moran and Michael Lennington. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps me out to get the message to more people about how awesome commercial property really is. I want to thank Kevin McLeod for the music and Steve Polisi. Don't forget to jump on his website to get your 50% discount. And remember... In the words of Grant Cardone, your greatness is limited only by the investments you make in yourself. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.